everybody, and welcome back to the Scene Stealers podcast. Uh, long time no see. I missed you, Trevin. Hey, thanks, I did. buddy. Thanks, Eric Moline from SceneStealers.com. <laughs> You're welcome, Trevin <laughs> McGee from Lawrence.com. Contractually obligated to refer to you by the first time I mention you. What are, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I'll tell you, pal. I'll tell you real quick. We're going to talk about, first of all, um, a little local movie called Earthworks. Yeah. Uh, local artist Stan Hurd. Uh, it's about him. And it local starts, movie getting a big release, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biggest, uh, biggest thing to come out of here in a little while. Um, John Hawks, Academy Award nominated John Hawks. Is there the you star. go. That helps. Uh, local director, writer, producer, all the same person too, which makes me feel really good about myself. <laughs> um, Why don't you get something done? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, but yeah, so we're going to start with Earthworks. We're, then we're going to move on to X Men First Class, which opens today. Fair enough. See, I said today, but it's not yeah. really. Yeah. It's the future. And then we're going to go back and talk about a movie that we didn't review last week because we didn't have a podcast, and that is... The Hangover 2, record-breaking comedy. Uh, yeah. Yep. So we'll get into that uh, thirdly. Thirdly. Well, firstly, let's get into Earthworks. You, you've reviewed it at this point. You've seen it. Um, I have not, but I did get to interview the director, so maybe we can just play off each other. So tell me about the movie. Uh, well, uh, it's called Earthwork. Okay. Just, just the K at the Earthwork. end. Earthwork. Yeah, it's a single work. But actually, it's just the story of uh, Stan Hurd, who's a Lawrence, Kansas-based uh, crop artist. He's been here for a very long time. Uh, and he makes the kind of art that uh, really can only be viewed and appreciated properly from an airplane or a helicopter. Yeah. Uh, basically, you know, rather than making something like uh, crop circles, which uh, people are probably familiar with, uh, he goes uh, many steps further and actually landscapes uh, using um, natural elements like grass, rock, and stone, and and uh, flowers and whatnot, and puts together artwork uh, in in a huge on a huge natural canvas, and, which he calls earthwork. Yeah, there you go. And so and so, Stan uh, in 1994. Uh, this is based on a true story. Uh, Stan went to New York City on the advice of a photographer friend and applied for uh, a public art project that was being hosted on land owned by Donald Trump. Mm. And uh, mainly the movie says based on his uh, – on the fact that he said he would do it for free. He would just do it gratis and they wouldn't have to um, supply this uh, art project with any funding. Uh, he signed the deal on the spot. And so this movie details the sacrifices that he made leading up to that uh, and during uh, to put this this big art uh, piece of art together in New York City in this uh -huh. abandoned lot. But um, what I found really interesting was actually uh, the people that he met, the homeless people that were living on the lot, and the way that the movie portrays kind of this quiet dignity that, that they all have. Um, and so as you mentioned, John Hawks. Uh, who was nominated last year for supporting actor, justly so, for mm -hmm. uh, Winter's Bone. Bone. Yeah, mm -hmm. you may recognize him from Deadwood uh, or, or um, Eastbound and Down. Yep, or Lost, or oh. any number of things recently. Um, he's again, he just completely disappears into this role, completely different yeah. role than we've seen him play before. Um, but uh, you know, he he he. Without without him, I don't think the movie works as well. That's the, that's the first thing I'm going to say about it. Is he really uh, embodies this, um, you know, this kind of Midwest ethic that that I think a lot of people around here have, which is you know, work hard and good things will come of it. 
And, um, you know, so, uh, the movie, the movie was shot mostly in Kansas. Mm -hmm. I know that, uh, some of the scenes were, were shot in New York, but not that many. I think if there was a negative thing to say about this film, it's that, uh, it suffers a little bit from that. I think that, um, it would have been more interest, interesting to, uh, visually to have images of New York city just surrounding him. Right. And this, this beautiful kind of. Uh, landscape artwork right in the middle of all that. Yeah. It really would have drove the point home visually. But this is a low-budget movie, and it fa- it looks fantastic. I mean, really? the, yeah, it looks I've heard great. a lot about the opening title sequence. Opening title sequence uh, designed by Stan Hurd himself. Yeah. So actual uh, original crop art. Um, and, and yeah, and so the, the opening's great. I mean, it pulls you in right away, even though the story moves very slowly. Yeah. Uh, I it's was only impressed. 90 minutes though. It's only 90 minutes. Yeah. I was, I was, I was impressed by how, uh, he drew the characters, uh, Chris Ordahl, the writer, director, producer that you mentioned before. Uh, he draws the characters, um, without being overly, without being obvious, Yeah, you know? And, and so these, these, these people, these, um, Inhabitants, they they kind of all find their way to Stan, uh, and and I, I I like that a lot. Instead of you know these formal introductions and this guy doesn't like this guy or whatever. Right. Gradually, he just kind of wins everybody over. They all start helping him out with this thing, and then the movie. Then by the end, it really becomes about two things. Number mm-hmm. one is artwork uh, valuable mm-hmm. because of the process and 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 the people that put it together and all the work that went into it and feeling good about it, creating this sense of community or is artwork, uh, useful and and important because, um, the people who are viewing it get great enjoyment and pleasure from it. And, and of course the people in the, uh, high rise apartment buildings see him do this and they invite him up and, uh, he's very excited the entire movie. He's really excited to see how, uh, the public's going to react to it and the media is going to react to it. And then when that happens, there's kind of a, uh, a twist ending at the end um, that makes you think about you know all the sacrifices that he made up to that and and were they worth it or not and and I think um, the movie the movie's trying to say that they were you know um, right. there there is another uh, subplot that I didn't find so interesting um, I don't think that the the subplot with his wife played by Laura Kirk. Uh, was was very well drawn. I thought um, maybe maybe there were some scenes that were cut out to make it move a little quicker, uh, to make the movie a little bit shorter. But um, that part of the movie was was kind of a letdown for me. But yeah. it was it was really cool seeing a lot of local uh, you know places and things like that. The dusty mm-hmm. bookshelf, and uh, I'm pretty sure I saw. Um, Ernst and Son, maybe? Probably. They, they shot down Mass Street for a couple of days. When yeah. filming this Standing in for a New York hardware store. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it, it, it's a really good movie, and, and I highly recommend that people go see it. Now, um, when, I, when I talked to uh, uh, Chris Ordell about it, um, he mentioned one of the big things uh, in it is uh, a sense of catharsis. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, did you, did you find that? Uh, catharsis through Heard uh, finishing his work. He and, just kind of said catharsis. He said the big thing that that's resonating with a lot of people. He thinks because he said it's it's being really really well received uh, by the public, um, and critically it's it's done all right too. It's got yeah, some positive absolutely. things from the L.A. Times and from uh, Roger e- Roger Ebert really liked it, and um, there's been some positive things said about it uh, both critically and commercially. But he was talking about what he thought resonated really well was that the movie offers a sense of catharsis. Hmm. So I was wondering if that was there, if you experienced that through any specific character or... 
Well, I mean, you know, at this point, um, with the economy being what it is, I, I, I thought of two different, uh, uh, you know, touch points. Yeah. And, and the first one being this juxtaposition of rich, the rich finance world and um, the person who works hard for a living trying to get something done. And the fact that he's doing art uh, makes yeah. it even – that's kind of touching on my second point, which I mentioned in my review, which you can find on Lawrence.com, uh, where uh, last week – Senator uh, or Senator, I wish, right? Um, Governor Brownback cut all the arts funding. Yeah, for Kansas. You mentioned that because that's our story on Lawrence.com today. Well, well, you know, we're the only state in the union now that doesn't uh, fund an arts program. And, And uh, you know, I think this movie is is coming at a really good time because if there's any reason or uh, any illustration uh, currently out there to um, talk about why we need art, it's a movie like Earthwork. Great. Well, yeah, I. I I haven't actually gotten to see the film yet. I got the screener in and immediately gave it to you, so I can't really weigh in on any anything with the film. Um, I definitely enjoyed my time talking to Chris, though. Um, yeah, yeah, he's a thoughtful guy and definitely, you know, was he was very gracious and thankful for all the the people he got to work with, and he said great things about working with Stan and 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 John Hawks and 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 pretty much just the whole process. So. I don't know. I'm, I'm glad that it's uh, being received the way that it is. It's uh, in Liberty Hall right now, and after the 2 o'clock screening on Sunday, there's going to be a chat with one of the producers, not uh, Chris, but a separate producer will uh, be on hand for chat. And, um, you know, we, we touched on it already, but uh, John Hawk's star is just going to keep rising. He's yeah. been cast in Lincoln Spielberg's uh, biopic about Abe Lincoln. Um, he's got this movie that uh, a lot of people liked at Can that I'm actually really excited to see called uh, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, um, uh, which the trailer, uh, look it up if, if you can find it. The trailer is pretty um, mysterious and, and definitely attention-grabbing, and he, he's apparently some sort of like cult leader, basically. For me, it's really satisfying to see uh, somebody like Chris Ordahl, who's um, a local filmmaker, um, you know, get that piece of 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 luck that that uh, you know uh, that that thing that just kind of happens to fall in your lap uh, that makes that makes your movie or makes your uh, your your piece of art a little more commercially accessible. And being able to capitalize on Hawks's uh, current popularity is is great because there's been a lot of movies made in Lawrence, and mm-hmm. I think um, a lot of quality movies made in Lawrence. And just because they didn't have that you know kismet at the time. Um, they weren't seen by a wider audience, so it's really great that this is finally happening, uh, and it maybe it'll it'll make people kind of stand up and notice, you know, what Lawrence, the kind of talent Lawrence has to offer. Yeah, well, here's hoping um, to move on to something that is definitely more commercially viable: uh, X Men. Yes, uh, and another, not, another big summer blockbuster, and not local, <laughs> and not, anyway. local. not the least bit local, extremely uh, commercial. X Men First Class. Yeah. Um, I don't even I don't even really know where to start. I guess we should start with the the obvious. It's uh, it's technically a prequel. It's it kind of straddles the line. Between Damn you, the, Lucas! Yeah, it straddles the line between reboot and prequel. Um, it's set in the '60s and it follows a very young Charles Xavier um, as he basically forms the first class of X Men. Um, and it's directed by Matthew Vaughn, who did Kick Ass and Layer Cake in the past, and. Uh, Stardust. Stardust, yeah. And then uh, it also has my currently one of my favorite supporting actors and character actors, uh, 
uh, Michael Fassbender. Yeah, as Magneto. I love Michael Fassbender. He's and great. He was he great did. in Fish Tank and Glorious Bastards and uh, Hunger. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. So I'm, I was uh, very pleased that he was added to it, and I, I wasn't disappointed. He was awesome as Magneto. My favorite part of the whole movie was him, and um, I'll say this: the movie really, actually, sort of. I was thinking about it today. Really changed my stance on how I'm supposed to view the X-Men and everything. I was thinking if you got into these movies and weren't into the comic books and didn't really know who to root for, what was going on, I think a lot more people are going to walk out of this movie saying, like, oh, Magneto's a badass and oh, Magneto's the mm-hmm. one you should root for or he's the good guy. <laughs> In a lot of ways, he is. Um, so so we should say, we'll, we'll, back the, back the, we'll back it up. give you some, a little backstory so that people understand where you're coming from. Xavier, uh, Professor X, played by James McAvoy. Who's also fantastic. Right. It's supposed to be the, the good guy, but in this movie, I love McAvoy. I think actually he was my favorite part about the movie. Yeah. Uh, is this brash kind of know-it-all, youthful cocky. Uh, exuberance, yeah. cocky exuberance. And um, that's something that we hadn't seen at all from Patrick Stewart in the later films because Professor X is this fatherly kind of yeah. uh, reserved goody two shoes type, and um, so it was really, really nice to see McAvoy's take on that. And I think you're right. I think both him and Fast Fastbender, Bender, Binder, Fastbender, uh, they uh, they humanize these characters a lot more than than uh, previously seen in uh, in X Men. Well, before they were too. just they were just like totems, you know. They mm-hmm. were they were just at opposite ends of a spectrum, and uh, you had characters the, that allied at one end and characters that allied at the other end and a lot of the movie took place based off of their ideals but not really them specifically now that said there is a moment in in x-men first class which is a period piece we should also say it takes yeah. place during the cold war. Uh, the cold war during the cuban missile crisis specifically inserting the x-men right in the middle of the uh, literally in the uh, middle. of missiles yeah. being fired back and forth by uh, russia and the u.s ships but um so that point in the movie that seemed really really familiar is uh when when like you said the x-men actually start to draw lines and pick sides yeah and and there's a moment where uh each each uh you know leader x or professor x and and magneto basically ask people to choose sides and we've seen that before that was in uh x2 and it was really effective then yeah and there's a lot of things from x-men 1 and x x2 that um are 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 put back into focus revisited yeah and so my 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 like i really like the film uh, it does tend to overemphasize things and hit you over the, yeah. the head with a that, hammer. That's my biggest complaint. Like, but but it's it's just that it seems like some of this, most of this stuff has already been visited before. So yes, they deepen the characters. I'm gonna have to watch it a second time yeah. to really truly understand if I thought this was uh, a good movie or or a, a, a great one, a better yeah. than better than average one. Right now, I'm, I'm, it's it's. It sits well. Sure. Yeah, and and you know it's it's a good enough movie regardless that it does you know I I will see it a second time you know happily see it a second time I'm actually looking forward to seeing it tomorrow especially um, I won't give it away but there's a great cameo and I can't wait to hear an audience's reaction to this cameo that happens about midway through the movie it's it's awesome and funny and just perfectly done and they did a really good job keeping it secret too yeah so, so. if i need to um revisit my top 10 list of the 10 best cameos this would probably be on there yeah it was a good one right I up mean, there with uh, the zombie land yeah i was gonna say right <laughs> I, almost, I almost spoiled that one but it's been out two years so it won't feel too bad but there's a lot more going on in the movie than you'd actually expect from an action movie it is it is just an action movie in some regards and the action's handled very well matthew vaughn yeah i, I really like him the more he does the more work he does the more i'm impressed by him him 
um, it finally felt like these scenes with these crazy mutants with crazy powers were finally fully realized yeah. on the screen to their, their and, the battles. You know, their, that, that first potential. trailer that showed, that showed just glimpses of the whole Cuban Missile thing, the way that was handled in its entirety was uh, perfect. I, would, I, I loved how that whole action scene went down. Um, the, the, the battles that take place before that work really well. Um, yeah, I, I just I am constantly being impressed by Vaughn's ability to every time he gets more money, he he manages to step his game up equally. I mean, his, right. his ability to direct large bombastic scenes and this, you know, his ability to direct characters. This is the most capable cast he's ever had at his disposal. I mean, Layer Cake was close. Layer Cake had you know had Daniel Craig, had Cole Meany, um, but this, I mean, just McAvoy and Fassbender are are, are great. They're, they're really they're, good. They're great yeah. separately. They're great together. Um, and then the supporting cast too. I actually I like Jennifer Lawrence a lot, and I liked uh, uh, the kid that plays Beast. Um, and I, I liked the uh, technically. There's two cameos in this movie, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're right. There is one's a little more di- one's a little Lawrence more digital than the other. But um, the, my biggest complaint is that the dialogue the it can be a little too on the nose at times, a little too overt. Yeah, they make they make two different callback jokes to him losing his hair yeah and they were they would have been good with just one that would have been fun they, the first time it was funny i was like oh okay that's cool i just thought there was a lot then, of expository dialogue and a lot and of a lot of stuff the like you didn't ask and, and, and a, i didn't tell yeah that yeah and or you know like there's another the the one that's really terrible is when there's a big showdown at this compound and at the end of it all this uh villain says you can either come with me and live like kings or you can all die as slaves and then it cuts to the one black character for his reaction yeah and you know just there's not a lot of subtlety in 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 that and sometimes it works and sometimes you need to hit people over the head well yeah there's a thing that they're taking these ideas these these ideas of um you know uh alienation racial injustice injustice, sexual injustice uh any any kind of um yeah they actually i there's a lot of gender discrimination in there too i forgot about and and they're making it they're making it palatable Mm -hmm. and they're trying to make it easy to understand for a teenage audience because essentially this is a comic book movie it's a pg-13 movie yeah. yeah and i'd also like to mention uh, this was produced, and the story, at least, was co-written by Brian Singer, yeah. uh, who, uh, for my mind, directed the second best uh, superhero movie ever made, which I think is X2, X-Men United. And he also directed the first one. For me, it's kind of a return to form to the first two. Mm-hmm. I like to ignore The Last Stand. I gave it a pass when I saw it. Um, and and uh, but by the time I saw Wolverine, I was sober enough to know this franchise is <laughs> off the rails. It's back again. I'm happy to have it back. I'm excited yeah. to see where they go from here. But they are going to have to change up thematically a little bit. They have the conflict, the central conflict between humans and mutants can remain, but they need to change something up just a little bit more on the, yeah, the next. Yeah, I one. agree. I agree. One thing that killed me, I would have loved if it had just been a straight reboot. But they kept making these callbacks, and I actually was going uh, uh, back and forth. Um, with another reviewer while we were there about it. But I, they really strained to connect it to the the previous three in some ways. They sort of shot for shot reshoot, or they may have just even used the original. I believe they used the original opening scene from, from, X- from X-Men. Yeah, yeah. so they, they used that scene from X, X-Men 1. So that's, that's the first connection. And then they just kind of stretched to make these offhand correlations. I don't like, mind it. I didn't mind it at all. I thought it was kind of fun. I, the only thing that made me, the only thing that bugged me about it is just, I, I really just think they should have gone for a straight reboot. I really just think they should have just gone for a straight reboot and not connected those. I mean, we I'm know, we know have, the characters. I'm happy to have them back. 
but I'm I'm you know that's a tiny nitpick on yeah. what was a surprisingly good movie. I was actually more surprised at this than I was at Thor. Yeah, I, I really I had lower expectations for Thor, but um, I thought this was going to be just like a serviceable action movie watch at once, and it's fine. And I really am looking forward to watching it another time. Yeah. Thor's um, silly and fun, but this was uh, silly and fun and about something. Yeah, yeah, that's the best way to sum it up. Well, speaking of things that are about something, as I segue into something else yet again with a speaking of. <laughs> dot dot dot. You can play. You can pretty much make these podcasts. Speaking into, of things that aren't silly yeah. or fun, it's the Hangover Part Two. Yeah, tell me all about it because I have not seen it yet. All right, let me just say this. I understand that this is a very popular film and everybody's going to see it right now. But I know that I'm not alone in thinking that this movie sucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that the first Hangover was very funny. I laughed a lot. I gave it a very or not a very good review, but I gave it a good review. You, I think you said it was the funniest comedy you'd ever seen. That's if not I true. Right. I know that for a fact. <laughs> but I gave The Hangover a good sure. review. I think I think that uh, it benefited from the surprise factor, from the relatable factor that everybody has to uh, uh, drinking too much and losing uh, uh, some time. Mm-hmm. And I think that the mystery setup of the of the plot uh, was was really good. And I think that um, the, drawing people along and finding out what happened to this guy and and everybody going back and trying to figure out and knowing that they would go as far as they did. Yeah. Yeah. Was was interesting because when you're watching the first Hangover, it really does feel like anything could have happened at that point. Uh, the Hangover Two has none of that because you've seen the Hangover, and this is almost a direct ripoff or rewrite of the same story. So nothing feels new, and it doesn't feel like anything could happen at any given moment. It just feels like they're desperate to top some of the disgusting stuff from the first Hangover movie. Uh, This one transplants the same characters in uh, Taiwan and Bangkok, uh, essentially, for most of the movie, and they lose... A person again. Mm-hmm. It's a different person this time, but Justin Bartha, <laughs> who is the friend, is sidelined for the entire film again. So really? it really is just Zach Galifianakis, um, Ed, Ed Helms, and, and Bradley Cooper. Uh, they replace the baby with a monkey, okay. uh, and then they bring back Ken Jeong, uh, who I didn't Jeong. think was very funny in the first one, but actually in this movie, uh, it was a little bit welcome to have him back because yeah. the movie was. Uh, really not that funny um, most of the time, and I thought that when he was on screen, he actually added something to it, and yeah. and also something slightly different. You know, a returning character, but at least they did something slightly different with him. So yeah. Uh, but but for me, you know, The Hangover doesn't need to be revisited with all of the same points in the story. I mean, it it, it follows exactly the same rise and fall. It follows the... uh, Ed Helms' character is being uh, uh, put down by somebody at the beginning of the movie, at the end of the movie, at the wedding, he tells that person off. I mean, there is just so many things. The the photos at the end of the the credits in the first film are back again. Which was the funniest part of the first film. It was a really funny part of the first film, yeah. And it's not anymore, because we we saw it coming, and and frankly, um, some of them are just... Desperate, so yeah, I don't know. I don't have a lot of good things to say about this. I can't say I anything think... about it because I haven't seen it. I I'm like, I guess I'm one of the five people in the whole world that didn't like the first one. I I just never got into it. It was never my thing. I it just forced wackiness. Yeah, 
throughout the whole movie. Well, that, that's how the first one felt, and I could already like, just just based on what you've told me, it sounds like that's that's back again. But it's the same. I joke. just it's never got thin in. Yeah, this time. I just it's never got more thin. into women, and so I laughed a couple times. I had a, a just fine time. But it's the same thing. I've seen it before. It wasn't surprising. I'm not going to recommend it to my friends. And yeah. you know what? I, here's my prediction. This, the sequels always make more money than the original because everybody uh, who liked it the first time. Made enough time, money that they're already making a third one. Right. Well, and they're, so they're, they're going to start making a third one. I just think my prediction. prediction, and you can hold me to this, last year my prediction that Toy Story 3 would win Best Picture was totally – uh, Hey, at least it was at the top ten. But, but yeah. So my prediction is that th- this movie will be – uh, not reviled, but everybody in a year or two will talk about The Hangover 2 like, oh, yeah, and then they did the sequel. That like was too bad. Like they Transformers 2. That always blows me away that everyone hates Transformers 2 but liked the first one. It, I, I don't get it because Transformers 2 is literally one with more explosions. and But every, like, critics, uh, people that saw the first one yeah. and liked it, everyone hates Transformers 2. I tried to explain myself really well. If you like The Hangover Part 2, that's great. Yeah. But um, I'm done with that. And and unless they do something different next time, it's going to be... They're going uh, to Amsterdam. Okay. Well. How do they get... How do they explain... Uh, you know, spoiler, whatever. How do they explain how they all lose another night of their lives? Yeah. Like, well, how do they Bradley Cooper opens that? the film with the same flashback from the first film, except this time, quote, it happened again. You've probably seen that in the preview. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all get drugged again, and that's why. And the reason for that or the way that that happens is so convoluted and contrived. And frankly, um, uh, it doesn't work with the character who they gave it to. Uh, that it's, it's, that's, that happens very, very soon on, and, and right away you know something is off. So you don't find out about it until later, but it's just the movie doesn't work. So it feels it's very contrived in every way. But not that I'm looking for Shakespearean is there, actorly moments is there from these guys in this comedy. I'm just saying. It. Is there a hilarious cameo like Mike Tyson again? Because I know they were thinking about trying to get Liam Neeson. And then another time they were talking about there is a cameo getting Mel Gibson. And it's um, not hilarious. Okay. Is it someone new or is it someone we've seen before? It's someone we've seen before. So it's Mike Tyson. <laughs> No comment. Okay. We try not to do spoilers. No, I, I, yeah, I don't. It's, it's There's even a for, wacky band at the end, It's been out for the week. It's been out for a week. Everyone's seen it. It's yeah, fine. you guys have seen it already. Yeah. Why are we even talking about no, it? I don't know. We're gonna, we had to get it out of our system. We're going to leave it there, I think. We're going to go, oh. go away forever on that. That way I'm not a one-note joke, on that but a two-note okay. joke. Good night, everybody. All right. Trevor McGee from Lawrence.com, Eric Moline, ScenesDealers.com. Have a good weekend. Thank you.